Emotions often make life harder, but without them, life would be as bland as rafting in a baby pool. But what if you could control the unpredictable emotional current? Would this mindset help you be rational even in the undertow of heavy emotions? Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. I feel, therefore I am, capsized on the river emotion. Still breathing heavily, Elliot did his best to calm down. Getting lost in his mind had almost cost him his life on the sharp edge of a rock just a few minutes earlier. Oddly enough, it wasn't the possibility of death that gave Elliot the shivers. He knew that the adrenaline pumping through his body was nothing more than a predetermined biological reaction. Besides, dying wouldn't be an outcome he'd have objected to over the last few months. Instead, it was the distracting thoughts in his mind that he feared more than death itself. No matter what he did, he just couldn't get the sound of that scream out of his head. His emotions finally began to calm, not unlike the smooth river currents in which he now floated. With the Class 5 rapids behind him, Elliot breathed a massive sigh of relief. When he was younger, kayaking dangerous waters was his favorite pastime activity. Taking the challenge of taming untamable nature filled Elliot with excitement. And more importantly, it always cleared his head when any negative emotions were trying to capsize him in life. At least with the moments of intense focus, nothing else mattered. But this time, even Elliot's favorite brand of escapism didn't work, and in fact, had almost just gotten him killed. About four months passed since the terrible event that forever changed Elliot's life. Every new morning, if he was even able to sleep the night before, was a reminder of who he now was. Even after all this time, Elliot's self-induced wound was as fresh as it was the night it happened. There were no signs of healing. Elliot was an emotional wreck who seemed to be beyond repair. It's amazing how your whole life can turn upside down in a single day by doing one stupid thing. Elliot couldn't help but crack a weak and bitter smile. In a way, life was like kayaking. If you decided to take on the challenge, you could be sure the river will lead you to some turbulent moments. One stupid move could put you in the hospital or worse, and your life might forever change. Some people might find solace and resolution in that fact, but not Elliot. I can't fucking believe I've done this to my life, Elliot screamed as he violently hit the kayak with the paddle. As he felt the sting in his hands, which were already very cold from the water, he scoffed at himself for having yet another emotional moment out of his control. He noticed the current becoming a bit faster, yet he knew this river like the back of his hand. He was still far enough from the next big rapid to not have to get ready yet, but it was funny how his emotions seemed to drift in concert with the river's currents. Elliot felt he had two options in front of him. He was out here today, hoping the river would show him the path. In these lower stress sections of the river, Things slowed down enough that he could feel the gentle wind blowing and even hear the birds chirping. 
but so far the river hadn't responded to his internal query. He felt as if a faithful friend turned its back on him. The only shed of hope appeared a few days ago from a different old friend, an old flame, in fact, from what now seemed like a lifetime ago. The last time Elliot had heard from Lisa was more than five years ago, but this time he was the one to reach out to her, something he'd vowed he wasn't going to do again. But sometimes in life, desperation, not absence, is what makes the heart grow fonder. They hadn't talked since their breakup, but the power of social media kept the thin connection alive. Mostly, they ignored each other's posts. Yet, in the creepy way that Facebook enables, they kept tabs on one another, occasionally spying to make sure things hadn't gotten too much better without one another. But in the last couple months of pain, Elliot had been looking to all the old sources of comfort in his life for some semblance of support and hope. So it felt like some divine intervention when he opened Facebook and saw a post from Lisa right at the top of his feed. It was a link to a long essay on what appeared to be her own blog. The piece sounded so unlike her that he actually checked her about page twice to make sure it was the same Lisa he'd known for over a decade. Lisa was smarter than he ever hoped to be, but writing, let alone about topics like neuroscience and psychology, is never something he'd have expected from her. If she were ever going to write a word, he'd have bet his life it would have been something much more like satire or comedy. I guess people can change, he thought to himself, as he tried processing the essay again. There was one part of the article that had intrigued him, something about some experimental drug she'd taken that supposedly altered emotions. After reading that section again, Elliot concluded it was a sign. He had to get in touch with her. Going back to Facebook to decide what to say, Elliot found albums of happy images of Lisa with what appeared to be a new boyfriend. Wait, fiance. His heart sunk suddenly. Even though he hadn't thought about Lisa for years, he suddenly was bothered by the fact that she now seemed smarter, happier, and was also apparently in love. It was so irritating to him how these currents of emotions took him wherever they wanted. As he typed a note to her in the instant messenger, his heart was pounding and he felt a little queasy. Come on, Elliot, this is no time to be a chicken. Elliot kept encouraging himself as if preparing for a fight. Finally, he managed to overcome the fear and he sent the message. Acknowledging her engagement in the note, so as not to give her the wrong opinion of his intentions. When she replied, Lisa was understandably confused as to why Elliot reached out to her after such a long time. But after a few short messages and a conversation with her fiance, she agreed to meet with a long lost friend. They met at a local bar and for the first few minutes, they didn't know what to say. Both of them hated those, hey, long time no see, conversations, especially in situations like this, when the communication lines had purposely ended so abruptly years ago. Nevertheless, Elliot succumbed to the pressure as he started the conversation with the predictable question. So, you ended up working as a software developer. Lisa took a sip of the beer the bartender just brought. 
Yes, it was great until I got fired for yelling at my boss. Add it to the list of jobs that I lost. Long story short, it was a good thing in retrospect, since that's when I finally hit rock bottom. And I apparently needed that straw to break my stubborn camel of a back, to force me to figure out what the hell my problem was. Elliot sat there in silence, thinking about how to ask her about the drug without revealing too much. And that's when you volunteered, right? For that drug, I mean. What was it called? Mule? Why did they name it Mule? Although Lisa did think she knew the answer now, she opted for a simpler path. She assumed it was already confusing to Elliot how she'd changed so much, so why make it worse? Hell if I know, she lied. The guy that guided me through the procedure said it's just a nickname they gave to the drug. Not very creative, if you ask me. As if trying to find the right words, Lisa took a second. Also, the thing didn't work out exactly as planned. After some time, I got a call from the doctor telling me the drug was a fluke. Taking another second to grab air, Lisa gave Elliot a wary look. Why do you ask? Elliot shook for a second, as if being interrogated for a felony. Wait, it was a fluke? I just read that long essay you wrote about it. So it didn't help you in the end? And when did you start writing like that? I couldn't believe you were the same Lisa I knew. You seem so different. Lisa stared at Elliot, and not just because of the barrage of questions. Something seemed very off with him. Although suspicious, Lisa replied to his central question. I'm not sure. There's no question in my mind that the experience did help, but there was a lot more to it than just swallowing a single pill, which is what I was led to believe was going to be the procedure. And now that I know it didn't work, I don't know what to do about the essay. People have told me they got a lot out of reading it, but everyone wants to know about the mule. Anyway, for about six months after I was approved to be in the drug trial, I went once a week to take a pill and present essays. It was a lot of work, almost like going back to grad school or something. According to the doctors, it was to track the drug's progress on my mental capabilities. Every week, I had to read something usually some work of philosophy, psychology, history, or articles and recent studies in neuroscience. Nerdy stuff like that, mostly, that I never would have read on my own. But then there was some kind of theme I was supposed to be looking for, and I'd have to apply what I learned by writing an essay about myself. Sometimes they even made me rewrite it over again if I hadn't applied the themes or talked about my story in the context of the ideas well enough. To be honest, I fucking hated it at first. My temper was still way out of my control at this time, and Isaac, the doctor I was working closely with, got a nasty earful more than once. She laughed as she recollected all this, but Elliot just stared impatiently as she continued. And there was never any talk about the drug or what it was supposedly doing. So I don't know. Before Isaac called me, and after writing that essay I posted, I think I was blocking out the obvious. And that, of course, is that it was the structured reading, writing, and thinking they were making me do that changed me more than the drug. It's like I was rewriting the stories that I had in my head. I've been over and over this in my mind since Isaac called me, and I think he's lying to me. I don't think I ever took the real drug in the first place. I think he moved me into a placebo group 
and was giving me something more like an experimental type of CBT. Elliot replied with evident annoyance, CBT? What the hell is that? Lisa realized she'd gone too far. Elliot had something on his mind and he didn't really want to hear all of these details. Sorry, it stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. One of the articles they made me read talked all about it. And after Isaac called me, I researched it more, and if I'm right, it all makes sense now. But I don't have any proof about me being in the placebo group, nor do I know the drug worked or not. That's all just me speculating. But I do know Isaac wasn't giving me the full story. Taking another sip, Lisa knew she had to turn the conversation around and try to figure out why they were really here. So again, why do you ask? Realizing he'd had to give at least some information, Elliot gathered suitable words in his head. Even though he was anxious to get the information he felt he needed, it felt good talking to Lisa after such a long time. She seemed so different that he could hardly believe it was her. Did he mature after so many years as well? He knew the answer. It must have been the drug that changed Lisa. This CBT sounded very touchy-feely to him. He needed the drug. He didn't have six months to wipe clean these emotions anyway. Look, Lisa, without going into too much of the details, I'm thinking of taking the drug. I researched it after I read your essay, and according to the website, they're starting a new trial on what they say is an even more powerful formulation. I'm in this horrible time in my life where my emotions are a mess. When I saw how happy you are, I researched the drug and concluded that this might be my only chance to calm my turbulent life. Hearing Elliot's answer, Lisa shuddered a little, thinking back to her painful weeks running up to taking the mule herself. Not wanting for Elliot to detect the subtle twitch, she continued in her usual manner. Calm your turbulent life? Did you become a rock star in the last few years? I thought we were here for one of those lame, long-time-no-see rendezvous. What's going on in your life? Elliot sighed while answering hesitantly. I'm sorry, I can't tell you. It's personal. I'm just trying to sort some things out. And if that means taking some experimental drug, so be it. I'll literally try anything. Elliot's generic answer frustrated Lisa, but she seemed to expertly manage the change in her emotional direction. Okay, Elliot, you just came out of the blue with it, so I'm just a little confused. But since you called me here, maybe you can at least tell me a little about it. It's clearly bothering you, and I'm sure we can't keep ignoring it completely. After a short moment of calm and appreciation of Lisa's handling of his delicate situation, Waves of remorse started rocking Elliot. God, did he hate this feeling. But there was no other way. He had to give Lisa something if he was going to get what he wanted, which was whatever information he needed to get into the new mule trials. I guess you're right, Lisa. And no, unfortunately, it isn't related to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But recently I did something that created this enormous guilt Ever since, I've had this massive emotional baggage I can't get rid of. So when I read your essay, I knew I had to meet up with you to learn more. Realizing Elliot still had his guard up, Lisa thought back to Isaac's technique when dealing with her, trying her hand at the student becoming the teacher. 
You know, one of the first books Isaac assigned me to read was by the philosopher David Hume. Hume thought we were nothing more than slaves to our passions. He also felt that emotions had a strong effect on the decisions we make. It doesn't matter if it's a positive or a negative emotion. They all play a huge role in decision-making. With that in mind, don't you think you might be making this decision a little too quickly? How much thought have you given to this? A lot, Lisa, trust me. I don't see what there is to lose. If it works, great. If it fails, well, judging from your example, even failure might have a positive result. The information on their website about the new trials says that not only is a new identity possible with this drug, but potentially complete removal of select emotions you no longer want. Lisa couldn't hide the fact that she was worried. This time, Elliot noticed. It also looked as if Lisa wanted to say something, but quickly changed her mind. Instead, she asked, but did it cross your mind a complete emotion removal might have undesirable consequences? I know I sound like a wise ass with all this waxing philosophic, but I also read about many different neuroscientific research studies on emotions. One that I remember was by a guy named Antonio Damasio. His studies showed emotions play a vital role in our decision-making. So in other words, he might have proved that Hume was right, at least about this one point. To test this, Damasio studied people who had specific brain injuries affecting the part of the brain responsible for emotions. Everything was pretty much normal with these people, except for one thing. They had serious trouble making decisions. They had no problem with thinking logically, but when it came to making even the simplest everyday decisions, like what to eat, they had no idea what to do. Elliot replied, Lisa, the only problem I have with my emotions is that I have too damn many of them at the moment, and I'm sorry if I seem like I'm being an opportunistic bastard here. I know this isn't the best conversation after not seeing each other for so many years. I'm just, I'm just kind of desperate for help here. That answer reminded Lisa of a similar response she gave Dr. Clark back when she volunteered for the drug. Desperation was indeed a lonely place, she thought, thinking back to her painful moments, unable to look herself in the mirror the night before the procedure started. Lisa thought for a second, then answered, I'm bringing up these ideas because I just think your emotions might be hindering you from making good decisions at the moment, that's all. I don't know what happened, and I don't know what you've been doing for the past few years, but it seems to me your emotions and lack of rational thinking might be the reason you want to remove your emotions. Which is quite ironic if you ask me. It's as if your emotions are trying to jump ship when the captain, you, really needs them the most to navigate through whatever mess you're in here. Lisa tried to lighten everything up with humor, but it didn't work. That isn't funny, Lisa. I'm sorry, Elliot, she replied. I'm just trying to help you think this through. Consider situations where either you or someone you knew made a bad emotional decision. Even though emotions are needed to decide, more often than not, they suck at the job, if you ask me. So it's up to us to tune them. I guess what I'm trying to say is, maybe you're caught in the trap without even realizing it. 
Do you really think life would be easier if we only had positive emotions? Maybe it would be easier, but it wouldn't be better. Elliot looked red in the face as he raised his hand and ordered another drink. It's not that I might be in the trap. I know I'm in it. But what can I do? Just because I know it's happening doesn't mean I have the solution. No matter how much I rationalize my emotions, I just can't seem to control them. Believe me, Lisa, I've thought and thought about it, but it seems like no matter what move I make, there's always another huge wave coming my way. As the bartender was taking Elliot's order, Lisa ordered another beer as well. Elliot, I just think we often mistake our emotions for our rationality. We think rationality and logic are the ones pulling the strings of our decisions, when in fact, it's our emotions. I know I'm acting as if I absorbed all the knowledge of this world, but trust me, I'm still very much a work in progress, and I lose my shit all the time. I'd say the difference now is that I quickly recognize I'm doing it. Then I kind of rewrite the narrative of the situation in my head in real time to let it go. In other words, I still feel the emotion. I just don't let it become my story. Does that make sense? So maybe you don't have to learn to control your emotions. Maybe the only thing you have to do is accept both the good and the bad and try to use it productively. Elliot stared at her, but she couldn't tell if he was processing her words or just getting a little drunk, so she continued. As I told you, I was in a similar situation where I was emotionally distraught. So I think I understand where you're coming from, but I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. Lisa smirked, remembering the Bismarck quote hanging in the hallway of the genetic laboratory. I thought some crazy chemical experiment would somehow magically make everything right, but it wasn't magic or chemicals that helped me. It was all me. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm still the fool a lot of times. Elliot listened with frustration and thought, who does she think she is? She hasn't experienced even the half of what I have. Then the guilt kicked back in. Elliot felt like vomiting due to the unsettling motions of the boat he was in. Left and right, left and right. What's the point? If only he were an emotionless robot, then the stream would be eternally calm. He took a deep breath. He needed Lisa, so he needed to switch gears and give himself some time to calm back down. I'm sorry, Lisa, you mentioned Hume? Lisa looked at him and couldn't help but joke to herself that Elliot would be a terrible poker player. But Lisa decided to play along. It was clear he was deliberately talking about something else just to shift the focus from the elephant in the room. It was awkward and Lisa hated it, but she continued anyway. Well, another thing that stuck in my mind was the four theses on the topic of ethics. I'd drawn myself a little quadrant picture to remember it because I had to write an essay the next day using it. The first one says we're slaves to our passions and not truly rational beings. I believe the second one connects to the first by saying that we don't make moral decisions based on reason. The third one is the next puzzle piece. Instead of being based on reason, decisions derive from the moral sentiments, feelings of approval and disapproval we find in others. Finally, the last one says, while some virtues and vices are natural, others are fake. 
the other reason I wanted to remember this, because it made me think about how often we're not against somebody, we're actually just for ourselves. When somebody is angry at us, we often think the person is attacking us, when actually the person is likely just defending their own emotional or moral baggage. The same thing is happening in this conversation right now. I wouldn't say you're attacking me, you're just trying to defend yourself because you're clearly under a lot of pressure. Lisa took a drink of her new beer. If you thought I was going to encourage you to do the same thing, you're wrong. I'll never do that because I know what it feels like and what bad decision making can do. Elliot looked at Lisa. He was sad because he didn't hear what he wanted to hear. But also, he felt relaxed because her honesty made him feel good for a reason yet unknown to him. And the first thing that came to mind to him when she said emotionally charged relationship was his father. For the first time in the conversation with Lisa, he felt comfortable enough to be entirely honest with her. You know, Elliot played with the glass while recollecting his thoughts. My father often says how emotions come before reason and logic. And you know my father, he's all about reason. He often says lack of reason is the reason he has a job. Naturally, nobody finds that funny except for him. I asked you to tell me more about the parts of Hume that meant something to you, because my dad loves the theory of emotivism, which, according to him, derives from Hume's ideas. As far as I can recall, the idea is that our emotional attitudes dictate our decision-making and not the logic behind it. The memorable part to me is that you'll either go hurrah or boo to a given proposition without thinking about it too much. This is especially the case when you're part of a big crowd. If everyone around you is yelling boo to some politician talking, you'll likely join them without even pondering what the politician just said. Your emotions will tell you to feel safe. You need to blend in and not stand out. They don't care if what you're doing is wrong or right. The only thing your emotions and brain cares about is to keep you safe. And this is the reason people like my father managed to make a living out of manipulating people. Lisa smiled and nodded, happy that Elliot was finally sharing. The mood had been getting pretty dark at the table. He saw her smile, then continued. He would often talk about Hitler and the reasons he rose to power. Germany was still recovering from World War I. It was a time of enormous economic upheaval. People were poor and desperate. This was the perfect situation for Hitler to come to power. Dad points out that Hitler didn't win people over by directly assuring them of fortune and good life. Fortune, good life, and other promises were just the tools he used to hit people where they were most vulnerable, their feelings. He managed to turn fear into excitement, and Nazi propaganda might just be the best proof that emotions come before reason. My dad often repeats a quote he loves, which is, there is no amount of money stronger than the feeling of being rich. Elliot said with an odd smirk. Although my father and I often don't get along, a lot of the shit he says all the time is seared into my brain. Listening to Elliot brought back some old memories and the conversation made Lisa feel good as well. Not for her, but for Elliot. It seemed the initial stress 
had finally started to melt. She replied, This may sound off-topic, but something you just said reminds me of an odd fact I learned over the last year. Did you know it takes about 15 minutes for our brain to realize we're no longer hungry? Seems odd, doesn't it? For everything else, our brain runs perfectly. If someone punches me, it doesn't take 15 minutes for my brain to say, God damn, that hurts. But with food, it's some sort of delayed recognition. Before I knew this, I'd often stuff myself with food and feel terrible later. And I think it's similar to the quote your dad loves. It doesn't matter if you're full or not, but only if you feel full. In the same way, it doesn't matter if you're rich, you just have to feel rich. Doesn't that tell you how by understanding our emotions and managing them, we can become a valuable person and a clear thinker? By understanding the fact that our brain takes some time to engage the feeling of being full enables us to act counterintuitively, but correctly. The same goes for other feelings and emotions. Understanding the functionality of emotions enables us to use them in our everyday lives. They are a part of our life flow no matter if it's the disturbing negative emotions or the pleasant ones. Remember that old nursery rhyme that goes, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. It does sound stupid, but think about it. We all have to row our individual boat down the stream of life. Although we all hate the turbulent moments in our lives, it's those intense emotional moments we remember and from which we learn the most. I assume you're still big into kayaking, would kayaking be nearly as interesting if it wasn't for the class four and five rapids? You wouldn't want to be floating around in a baby pool in your kayak. Lisa stopped for a moment to drink her beer and assess if any of this was getting through to Elliot now that he relaxed a little. So doesn't that make you think about the stuff you're currently going through? Have you wondered why do you feel depressed or whatever it is you're feeling? What if there's a function behind these negative emotions same as there is behind physical pain. When somebody hits you, it hurts, simple as that. But why does it hurt? Would it be better if you felt nothing? Maybe at first, but then you might die. Pain is here to tell you when something is wrong. It's kind of your savior. Imagine if you ended up with internal bleeding with nothing on the surface to tell you about the problem. If there weren't for the pain, you wouldn't know about the problem until it was too late. The physical pain doesn't just inform you about there being a problem, but it also directs you to the malfunctioning body part. In the same way, your emotions help you take care of your mental health. That's why you have to pay close attention when they're telling you something is wrong. A negative emotion isn't the wound, it's the alarm for when the wound opens and needs care. Although Lisa thought Elliot had calmed down, she wasn't sailing through the rough waters with him. Her words, sinking in more than she realized, were making his reality come rushing back. What was up suddenly became down with an unpredictable wave of emotion hitting his unstable mental kayak. Elliot let everything come out in what seemed no shorter than a tsunami. Yes, Lisa, I hear the goddamned alarm, and I feel the pain because running over a young kid with your car isn't something that makes you smile and dance. In fact, it hurts even more when you realize the reason why you killed an innocent kid is because you never took a moment to think about how everything said to you isn't because someone cares about the same things you care about, but because they have an agenda. 
God, I can't believe how fucking stupid I was and that I've done this to myself and to that family. My dad's right. I'm worthless. Now tell me, Lisa, now that we concluded why it hurts, tell me how I can fix that besides by killing all these emotions with the mule or killing myself. Lisa sat there in shock as the pieces fell into place. Elliot was the person who ran over the little kid a couple months ago. The police reported the kid's family saw a man destroying their property as they were returning home. There were speculations that the murderer was a member of one of those nasty, anti-immigrant groups on the rise ever since the new governor was elected, although the group itself denied responsibility for the crime. The guy had panicked upon being seen and tried to get away. As he was pulling away, the child exited the family's car and ran towards the street. He never even saw her and didn't stop. The police never managed to find the murderer. Not in a million years would Lisa have expected Elliot was capable of something like this. Lisa quietly said with a stutter, It, it was you? Elliot began to capsize right in front of her eyes. He seemed to be at the point of no return. Fear, shame, anger, disappointment. Everything came bursting out of Elliot in a cathartic fashion. Shaking and in tears, Elliot opened up. About a year ago, I started seeing posts from a friend of mine about this organization that presented itself as a union for people's rights. At the time, I was furious about all the things happening in this country, so I thought I could at least do something by joining an organization like that. I just wanted to be part of something that mattered. I guess I felt the governor was right. Our country and our state is going downhill, and we needed to stop more and more immigrants from coming in or else we'd find ourselves in total chaos soon. I know it sounds stupid. When I read the first article, I remember thinking it sounded extreme to be trying to scare immigrant families. But then after going to the website, I'd see more posts in my newsfeed about them. And every time I turned on the news, I saw more and more proofs of what they were saying. And I was angry at my father because I believed he could do something about it. He worked for the governor after all but he wasn't even listening to me when I called him about it. In the end, at least I was smart enough to not join the group under my own name. No one knew I was going to do this. I just downloaded one of their target lists, as they called them, and read about their tactics. It seemed easy enough, so I just did it. I still can't believe I could be so stupid. Elliot put his head in his hands and sobbed. When he came up for air, he looked at Lisa with eyes bloodshot from tears and too many drinks. Lisa, I need to take this drug and delete my emotions. I just can't go on like this. Stuttering, Lisa replied, Look, I can't tell you much about the drug. I don't know either. I guess I just got lucky. Lisa stopped, looked at him earnestly, and then continued. Actually, I'll cut the crap. Look, Elliot, I don't think the drug is doing what they're saying it's doing. I also don't think the supposed fluke was really a fluke. I made a bad emotional decision to get involved with it that somehow ended up right. But there's something not right about those drug trials. I told you I felt that Isaac was hiding something. I've tried to get in touch with him since, but no luck. There was about a dozen of what they called test groups. I've been unable to reach anyone I met at the initial trial meetings. 
I do think the pill they gave me was a placebo. In other words, I think I got lucky. I just don't feel right about it. Please, Elliot, don't do it. With tears that sparkled like dying stars, Elliot gave Lisa a look of a defeated man. Please, Lisa, if I die, I die. I don't care. I just want the emotions to stop. In the face of Elliot's pain, in trying to recollect what her own had been like, even Lisa didn't know anymore what the right answer was. She sighed and told Elliot everything she knew about how to get accepted into the trials. She even promised to email him the precise application that she'd doctored up to make herself look like the perfect candidate. The only advice she could offer him after all the information was in his hands was the same advice her sister had given her. She said, please be smart, Elliot. At that point, the phone rang and Elliot gave it a quick glance. Seeing the name of the caller, he let the call go to voicemail for the third time since he'd arrived at the bar. Three rings, four rings, five rings, Knowing the voicemail was about to pick up again, Edward canceled the call before he had to hear Elliot's voicemail for the third time unreturned. God damn it, Elliot, answer the phone. I can't even get my own son to talk to me. Furious, Edward tossed the phone onto the desk. For the first time he could remember, Edward felt duped. He wondered if any of the millions he'd manipulated with his rhetorical messaging and political maneuvering over the last couple decades ever came around to realizing the unfolding circus of lies he'd presented to them. Perhaps karma was a bitch after all. He hurt my son. Edward kept repeating the same sentence like a mantra. He finally got to the bottom of everything after calling in a lot of favors. Edward was the chief advisor to the governor a slimy politician named Arding. Edward got Arding elected, which had been no small feat. But recently, Edward discovered that Arding had lied to him and misused his work to bootstrap one of the most prominent and dangerous anti-immigrant groups in the state. The governor's actions and money helped this group rise to power. And somehow, his son Elliot had gotten involved with them and his life was a mess. And more importantly, it hurt Edward's ego. He was the one meant to hold all the cards, not some low-life businessman turned governor. Glancing back at the phone to make sure Elliot hadn't called back, Edward observed the letter on the screen he'd been writing for the last few hours. He knew that in politics, same as in business, there's always a fall guy and it's rarely the person with the highest rank. Arding would try to sink him if this came out, but Edward knew the game better than anyone in town. He would bring him down. He hurt my son. After a lot of strategizing, Edward came up with a simple plan that was nothing short of career suicide. And the idea was currently observing him from the other end of the screen. A full-blown letter to the press that would reveal everything, including the governor's role in the anti-immigrant group and the real purpose behind that stupidly named drug. Would this also be the end of Edward's career? Did he really want to go out like this? 
Nobody was suspecting Elliot, so maybe this was overkill. He hurt my son. Giving the letter a final touch, Edward couldn't help but laugh as he sent the document to his printer. Everything he'd worked so hard on for these last couple decades would crumble down like a sandcastle under a single wave if he sent this letter. Years and years of climbing his way from nobody to the go-to person for every politician, businessman, or anyone else who needed a magician to fool people. And why? Because of a power-hungry idiot and a foolish son. How could Edward let this happen? And how could the offspring of such a great man end up being so gullible? Maybe Elliot wasn't actually his son. He laughed again, the cynical laugh of a jaded man who'd seen and done too much in his life. He hurt my son. He hurt me. And now, I'll hurt them. Edward turned the letter over and over in his hands. Folded neatly in an envelope, it had so much more levity than any simple, easily deletable text on his computer. It was addressed to the editor of the New York Times, a man he knew very well, who also happened to be a man Edward had helped to get that job. There wasn't a top person in any respectable media source that Edward didn't have a personal connection with, and they would all get a copy, if he sent it. Over and over, over and over, the letter continued to turn in Edward's hands. Bam! A huge wave crashed into the side of Elliot's kayak. For the second time today, he didn't notice the oncoming rapids as he was reliving everything that had happened to him in the last few months. The first time he'd been lost in thought about his stupidity resulting in vivid thoughts of the night he killed that poor child. And this time, the thoughts about his recent talk with Lisa still haunted him. He needed to clear the emotional turbulence in his mind if he was going to survive this last set of rapids. Doing his best to regain the control under the merciless pressure of the white waters, Elliot was going crazy. I'm worthless and a horrible person. No matter what I choose to do, I'll still be a murderer with a failed life. Bam, another wave hit, this time a jutting rock to the right that was just inches from impaling the bottom of his kayak. It was like a slap to Elliot's face, telling him to snap out of it. The constant blows and cold water splashing his face forced him to look ahead and entirely focus. With every next swing of his paddle, Elliot steadily overcame one river obstacle after another. Finally, all the danger was behind him, and Elliot entered the calm waters for the final time. Breathing heavily, he rested the paddle on the kayak and looked up at the sky. Then, as he caught his breath, he looked ahead. The call he'd made just before heading downriver had been a success. He'd checked his voicemail just before making the call, and there was a message from Lisa. She was concerned about him and wondering if he'd sent the application to register for the mule drug trials yet. But the call he'd made wasn't to the lab, nor was it to his father, who had been chasing him for days. In the center of the calm waters ahead, the river forked. 
As one of the most popular Class 5 stretches of river in the area, it was set up well for his sport. On the right fork, which just led to a stream, was a parking lot where people would have a ride waiting for them to finish. To the left fork was a sign that rafters knew all too well. In all caps, it read, DANGER, WATERFALL AHEAD, NO RAFTING BEYOND THIS POINT. Posted at the river's fork, it wasn't usually a sign looked upon as a decision that most rafters had to make on any regular day. But today wasn't a regular day, and Elliot wasn't a regular rafter. In the parking lot on the right sat two police cars with their doors open. It appeared to Elliot as if the cops took the phone admission of committing murder seriously, as they'd sent more than one car. Four officers stood beside the two cars, watching the river intently for the description Elliot had given them of his kayak. Approaching the fork, Elliot thought, it's just a constant circle of calmness and turbulence, calmness and turbulence. Does it ever stop? With each second, the final decision was getting closer and closer. Elliot recalled Lisa once again as he drifted. Although lashing out at her in rage, it had felt good to have someone to open up to about his troubles. He did it with his dad as well, but that brought nothing but more turbulence. While with Lisa, the turbulence had resulted in something positive. He recalled feeling unusually calm after finishing the talk with Lisa. The troubles were still there. He was still a murderer who had ruined someone's family. But still, he felt different. He felt relief in knowing one thing. He didn't need a drug to erase the emotions. He needed to face the emotions and turn himself in. His life was already over, so maybe he could at least give the world and that family some solace in knowing that the person who had killed their child would pay. Only a few more paddle strokes from the fork, Elliot raised his head and looked at the two possible options in front of him. Lisa's lousy singing of that old nursery rhyme began ringing in Elliot's brain as he took the paddle. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. A melancholic smile decorated his face, knowing what he had to do. As his paddle hit the water the final time, rowing off to the destiny of his own making, he finished the stroke of the song out loud in the kayak. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. 
Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster. Thank you.